Hi there, and welcome to episode number 339 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books. Today, Amanda and I are talking about gathering in person with actual humans. Yes, with people, like in the same space. I know, right? Today, <laughs> we're going to talk about running book clubs, crafting classes, and reader gatherings that Amanda has been coordinating, running, or attending, and how much she is enjoying all of this. She has advice for anyone who might be thinking of joining an existing group or starting their own romance reading group as well. We take a deep tour, deep tour, deep tour. You guys, this is like the third time I've tried to record this, and I'm just giving up, okay? We're just going to keep that in there because apparently word talking is not something I do well. We take a brief detour into discussing mental health, the changing symptoms of depression, and antidepressant medication, and then we move on to reader email. Emily is looking for books that inspire self-care, and Kristen is looking for tips on organizing her TBR pile. And of course, we talk about what we're reading and what we're enjoying. Do you have email thoughts that you want to say? Do you have word thoughts that you want to say out loud? Hopefully you'll be able to do that better than I can. (laughs) How do you organize your TBR? What books inspire you to be more kind or gentle or caring of your fine self? Do you have a book club or a reader gathering that you want to recommend? Do tell us all about it. You can email me at sbjpodcast at gmail.com or... You can call and leave a message at 1-201-371-3272. You can tell me about your gathering. You can tell me what books inspire you to be nice to yourself. You can ask questions. You can tell me a terrible joke. I love all of those. Either way, do get in touch if you feel like doing so. This podcast is brought to you by Harlequin and their New Year New Reads campaign. A resolution that you can keep past February? Yes, please. Harlequin and their Blockbuster series authors have got you covered with many ways to start your new year, new reads, binge reading. Mira Books and HQN are home to many great authors with an impressive list of series that are already out as well as great upcoming books. What better way to keep a binge reading New Year's resolution than by diving into a series you can fall in love with from the very beginning? Head over to newyearnewreads.com to discover exciting series and upcoming titles by Christina Dodd, Lee Tobin McLean, BJ Daniels, Heather Graham, Robin Carr, Cheryl Woods, Sheila Roberts, Brenda Novak, Carla Neggers, and Karen Robards, and more. That's newyearnewreads.com. Today's podcast transcript is sponsored by Summoned to 13th Grave by Dorinda Jones. If you like J.R. Ward or Janine Frost, you'll love this paranormal romp that tickles not only the funny bone, but other parts a little farther down south as well. Charlie Davidson, Grim Reaper extraordinaire, is back after a century of exile. She is hurt. She is angry. She is out for revenge. But a century on one plane isn't quite the same as it is on others. And she comes back to find a furious husband who can still melt the polar ice caps with a single glance, a world that's in chaos, and an expanding hell dimension that is taking over our own plane of existence. She has three days to stop an apocalypse that she may have accidentally started and soothe the savage beast that is her blisteringly hot soulmate. Do not miss the last book in the series that RT Book Reviews calls Wickedly Funny with True Chilling Danger. 
Summoned to 13th Grave by Dorinda Jones is on sale now wherever books are sold. You can find out more at dorindajones.com. Now, we have a Patreon, and if you have supported the show with a monthly pledge of any amount, thank you for being part of the Patreon community. You are helping me ensure that every episode receives a transcript and that we keep the show going each week. You're also making sure that every episode is accessible to everyone, which is very important to me and to the people who listen and read each one as well. If you would like to join the Patreon community, it would be most excellent. You can have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. Monthly pledges start at $1 a month, and you'll be part of the community who helps develop questions for upcoming interviews, makes guest suggestions, and helps us pick the book that we're going to read for our quarterly book club. And that announcement is coming very soon, so get ready. You can join us at patreon.com slash smartbitches. And again, if you're part of the Patreon community, thank you. The music you are listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. I'll have information at the end of the show as to who this is. I will also have a preview as to what is coming up on the site this coming week. And in the podcast show notes at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast, I will have links to all of the things that we talk about in this episode, and there are many of them. And of course, I will have links to all the books we mentioned, because there's a lot of those too. But it's time to start this podcast episode. Here comes Amanda and myself talking about reading groups, crafting groups, gathering with people, and making yourself feel better in the process. On with the podcast. You had a really nifty idea about talking about how you have been getting more and more involved with your community, especially as pertains to books. And I want to hear all about this. Tell me <laughs> all the things. I want to be real with you. So the idea that you're leaving the house on purpose to go socialize with people is amazing. Like That's I'm in weird. awe. I, I am really like... impressed. Please tell me all the things. <laughs> because if you had asked me like five years ago, if this was something that I would be doing, I would say you're out of your goddamn mind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to leave the house with a bra and shoes and engage with humans. Yeah. Public? Willingly? Like I'm not being dragged <laughs> out by anyone. Um, yeah. I don't know what it is. Like I, I don't do New Year's resolutions. Um, and if you do, that's great. Um, I just know my own limitations and my willpower. And it's so easy for me to say like, fuck that. I don't want to do it. And, <laughs> and not go through with any sort of resolutions. But this year, I don't know what it is, but I'm like, I'm going to be more active in the things that interest me and the things that I enjoy. Because while it's nice talking about things online and on social media and with the rest of the Smart Pitches group, there's an entirely different feel when you are in person and talking about things that you love and enjoy. So... I think it started with the craft store was the first one. So I discovered this really awesome craft store near me. And I was looking for um, materials to make my little like pin displays that um, I've mentioned on the site before. And just being in that space was so nice. Everyone was so welcoming. They have like this huge chalkboard of classes and I think going to that space first as just a customer um, really motivated me to like check out what else they offer. Um, 
because I, I knew I was comfortable in that space. I interacted with a lot of the um, employees and they were all super cool and super nice. Um, and I'm like, you know, I'll look at the class offerings they have and they have a ton. If you're into crochet, if you're into embroidery, if you want to learn how to sew, they have like a full bank of sewing machines used for sewing classes. Um, and the place is called Gather Here. And so I signed up for a knitting basics class. Everything was included in terms of materials. And it was like $50. And it was great. And I started a project after that. And I have made a promise to myself that I'll take another class after I finish my first project. That way I don't leave a project unfinished, which is a problem of mine. (laughs) And then um, the library, my local library system was posting on Facebook and I saw something called the like Somerville Public Library Supper Club and they would vote on a cookbook and you would sign up to cook a dish from that cookbook. And I love food and I love books and it's hosted at a brewery and I love beer. So it ticks a lot of boxes. <laughs> Somebody was like, what can we do to trap an Amanda? Yeah. And it was the first um, cookbook was, I think, like Smitten Kitchen. Um, not their everyday one because I have that one. It was their other one. Um, but I went and it was the turnout was outstanding. They had over 40 people. And there were so many people that now they have to limit the spots. Whoa, they have to do sign up for it. Yeah, they have to limit the spots, like the first 30 people who RSVP. That's so cool. Yeah, it was great. And we're doing, um, I think February's book is Sofremies, which is a Middle Eastern cookbook. And the I think it's written by a woman, but she owns a bunch of restaurants in Boston. I've been to one of them. They're so fucking good. Um, so there's that. But like, the my crown jewel is my book club that I this is so great it's so great like it's amazing that this is you you totally launched the fuck out of this thing I know I like it the second meeting so it started this year it's a romance Mm -hmm. book club at my local independent bookstore Porter Square Books and I had a bit of an in before because I run there like any book club so it's just like a small group of us that get together and it's kind of like what you're reading but in person we just we just talk about what we've been reading and it's a small group I took it over from a friend of mine who was moving out of the area and asked me if I would take it over and I said yes um so that's how I got started at the bookstore and then when I did my BEA panel about why independent bookstores should have romance, the store man- Which is a perennial discussion. <laughs> like, I can't believe we're still talking about that. Yep, we're the- still talking about that. In 2019. Yep. Um, the manager, I believe, of the bookstore, Josh, was in the audience. And I talked to him. I was like, Josh, you didn't have to come to this panel. I'm in your store at least once a month. You <laughs> <laughs> just snag me. And so I pitched the idea of a romance novel book club at the end of last year. I had a few meetings with like the events coordinator. That was that. 
And I have like a Facebook group and we all vote on what we get to read next. So everyone has like a, a say. And I started in January with the first book being Never Seduce a Scoundrel by Sabrina Jeffries. And we had our second meeting yesterday and we discussed A Duke by Default by Alyssa Cole. And then March's book is Hot and Badgered by Shelley Lawrenston. So, so far it's been an interesting selection. I'm glad there's a lot of diversity of genres, a diversity of authors. And the first meeting had like 19 people. Yesterday's meeting had 25 people. People had to sit on the floor. Um, And at the beginning of each meeting, because there's so many of us, we'll go around, say our name, and talk about like one good book we have read since the last meeting. Mm -hmm. And everyone has like their phones out or their pads out, like trying (laughs) to write it. So like going forward, I'm like, I will keep track of all the good books mentioned and I will post them in our Goodreads group. So you don't have to worry about like scribbling and listening and all that sort of stuff. Um, It sounds like you are managing a lot of the administration of this process very naturally. Like you you already had all of the superpowers in place. Make this happen, and you're managing all of the administrative tasks very easily. And like, I, is there any part of this that like makes you stress out or anything? Or are you like, this is so great, people? I love the administrative stuff. We always have really great discussions so far. That's so cool. The only thing that worries me, and it's a silly worry, is like I'm worried that I will go to a meeting and no one will show up. Like, <laughs> I do not think that's going to happen. <laughs> so, like, I was worried the first attendance was going to be a fluke and Mm -hmm. the second meeting you know it was going to plummet in Mm -hmm. the people that show up but that was not the case um so there's nothing that I don't like about this and I ask the members like the first meeting you know it's like I noticed some of you are on Goodreads do you want a Goodreads group and everyone's like yes and then you know I asked some members how do you think the group is going is there anything you know, you think that can be approved upon, you know, because I, I want everyone to have a good time. And if there's a problem, I might not see it in terms mm-hmm. of organization. And so far, it's been great. No one has really said anything. But I definitely want people to feel free to come to me if they think there's a way that the group can be improved. We were talking about a Duke by default yesterday. And it's funny, because there's always one person who shows up worried that they're going to be the one dissenting voice that didn't like the book. And that's never the case. Never. You are never the only one who didn't like something. Yeah. And even then, if you are the only person in a group who didn't like something, the people who like the book, someone will agree with you about the thing that pissed you off. Yes. It just didn't bother them as much. And then, so last night's meeting, we had more members that I hadn't seen before. And some people brought their knitting. And it was so sweet to like see like four or five people working on their knitting projects while like talking about books. And then in a Duke by default, the heroine Portia thinks that she might have um, ADHD mm-hmm. as an adult. And there was one woman who was raised by parents who had ADHD. And there was another woman who talked that about how this book really resonated with her in terms of like Portia's behaviors and prompted her to ask her doctor to get tested for ADHD. 
And, Isn't that amazing? And she was she was then diagnosed with ADHD. Um, wow. So that was a really great discussion that we had, and especially in terms of like, you know, how um, families and communities treat mental illness, especially when it comes to women of color and marginalized communities. So like, while we also like shit on the hero for towing the line of grumpy versus asshole, um, we also have some really thoughtful, great discussions that I wouldn't have thought of before based on, you know, other people's experiences. It's been fantastic. And I'm so excited for its success. And I hope it keeps going. Do you have any advice for someone who's listening and thinking, oh, I, I'd like to do this. I'd like to start a group like this. What do I What do? I do? So there are a few suggestions that I have. If you're looking to join a group that's already existing, which is always easier than starting something, I recommend, first, there's the website Meetup, M-E-E-T-U-P. And you can kind of search local groups by interest. You might find a book group that meets at a coffee shop. You might, if you're a writer, you might find a writing group that meets to like dedicate time to, you know, write together and like work on whatever you're working on. So that's a good way to find already existing groups. You can also use that to start your own group. And people can find you that way. But when it comes to starting any group, there is a degree of marketing that comes with it. You know, if it's a book group, you might want to talk to your local library. They might be interested in hosting you or, you know, lots of libraries have, you know, bulletin boards that you can put up relevant flyers or or that sort of thing. There are tons of Facebook groups relevant to local interests that you could use to promote it. Goodreads allows you to form a group that is searchable and you can mark like this is a book club that meets in person. Um, So I think it's about finding the communities that exist online for your interest and for your area and using that to kind of springboard things. As far as it goes for like doing a, a bookstore sanctioned book club, I don't know how that would work in terms of like a a cold call, you know what I mean? Like I already had my foot in the door um, a little bit and Mm -hmm. I have um, kind of cultivated a relationship with some of the people who work there after doing this other book group for two years or so. Um, So I was lucky enough in that aspect. But even if you just want to join a group, the internet is your friend. Um, Mm -hmm. I guarantee you that if you're a romance reader in the Midwest, there is probably a group that meets somewhere at your local library, at, you know, a a coffee shop, at a TGI Fridays, like the group I was attending for a while in Boston of romance readers, I found on Meetup and they met at like a food court and a mall. So you don't really need to worry about like securing space or mm-hmm. that sort of thing. It's just finding finding that community and seeing what's offered in that community. And I feel like that's the best way or the easiest way 
Um, especially if you don't want to take on the responsibility of like running something. Yeah. And also one thing I, when I'm starting a project or I'm starting and I looking at an idea and thinking, okay, do I want to do this? Is I always ask myself, what are the ways in which I can make this as easy as possible on me? Yeah. And if there's a lot of administration and coordinating people, which there is, um, maybe you don't want to have to bother with finding and then renting a space or coming up with the money to, to use a space when there are many spaces that are already available that you can use, like a mall food court or a restaurant. And there's also overlap with um, like crafting, like Gather Here, my craft store. They have a book I love club. that name. I know. It's way. great. They do um, a project every year where um, – like Somerville is a, a sanctuary city and um, mm-hmm. they have a thing every year where you can submit. Um, oh geez. It's going to bother me, but they have like a gorgeous like front window, like glass front window. And you mm-hmm. um, can craft something. I think it's like all are welcome here or something like that. And and you submit it. So people submit like their cross stitches that say that and their quilts and like all these crafts they made with like this slogan and they displayed in their front window. And it's so sweet. That's just lovely. But they have a book club. And I feel like a lot of um, craft stores will probably have something similar because you can bring your Mm -hmm. knitting or bring your stitching and talk while you work. Um, so that's also another possibility is like, if you don't have a, I don't know, like a bookstore that does that, think of like adjacent interests that might also sponsor Mm -hmm. a book club. Some breweries even have book clubs. Well, I mean, drinking and reading do go together. They do. I know that in uh, online knitting communities, there's been a lot of talk about the pervasive whiteness of crafting spaces and how uh, crafters of color who are marginalized are made to feel unwelcome by these very white spaces. How diverse is the group at Gather Here? So um, you're talking about my book group or the crafting? The crafting crafting group. And the the book group. I mean, is that something that you pay attention to as well? Yes. So the crafting store is wonderfully diverse. Um, It's so, like the staff, there's uh, women of color, there's men, there are queer individuals. So Gather Here is fantastic. As far as the reading group, it's mostly, I would say, white, Mm -hmm. but we do have some women of color who attend. Um, I'd like there to be more. But I would say that definitely skews more towards white women. But also, it was funny because yesterday one of the members came up to me and she's like, it's so nice to put a face to the voice because oh, I That is the best. <laughs> so, and I told them that we were recording. So if any of my book club members are, are listening, hi, thank you so much for attending. I'll see you in March. Oh, <laughs> it was so sweet. One thing you mentioned was that, that when you went in to gather here, it was such a welcoming and restful space. Like you felt instantly like you wanted to hang out there. Can yeah. you, do you think you can identify some of the elements that create that atmosphere? I mean, if you're sure. in your own store, then, you know, you're going to create the space that you want to have for people to be in. But if you're creating a space for readers to talk like in a mall food court or in a restaurant, what are some elements you can 
include to make it feel like a welcoming, restful um, space. There's a word I'm looking for in my brain. It's like, you don't get that word today. So I'm going to stop. <laughs> it might be like a hidden German word that like yeah. exists in another language. <laughs> There's a word my brain was going for and I got real close and my brain was like, yeah, you know what? Nah, forget it. <laughs> so gather here, what I love about it, it's it's a bright space. The the storefront has two huge windows. Um, and like when you walk into it, it's just like bright and light. You don't feel like you're walking into any sort of dungeon. Um, and the people are are incredibly helpful. Like even if I, I'm one of those people, like even if I don't want a salesperson's help, I still want to be acknowledged for being in the store. If that mm-hmm. makes any sort of sense. No, that makes sense. There's that personal connection, like mm-hmm. the, it definitely feels like a shop you go into where people will remember your name or remember why you were there or what you bought. And what I also like about Gather Here is that if you're having problem with any of problems with any of your projects, you can bring it in and they will help you fix it. That is such a nice thing. Yes, it's fantastic. So I think it's a combination of like, the amount of natural light that the weather <laughs> here gets and just the people that they choose to employ um, are just so sweet and so welcoming. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's how it goes for my local bookstore as well. Everyone has been super welcoming. And even before they started carrying romance, like I never got the sense that I was being like judged or anything like that. Um mm-hmm. And they've always been supportive of the ideas that I've come to them with about like the romance bookstore and stuff like that. So I think just having that overall feel of being like welcoming and romance readers in particular are used to getting shit on and not feeling welcomed. What? (laughs) So I I never want anyone to have that experience dealing with me in particular, especially with a group that I'm running, that I am unapproachable or resistant to change or any any of that sort of stuff. I've never seen you be standoffish to anyone. It's weird because growing up and in person, I have gotten the comment of like, you're nicer than I thought you would be. Oh, for the love of Christ. (laughs) So I guess I have a really good resting bitch face. Oh, Um. (laughs) I I get, I get, I was really scared to meet you, but you're not scary. I think because if you only hear my voice, I have, I don't know if you're aware, I have definitive opinions about things and I have a deep voice and um, you meet me and I'm like really small. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm generally pretty laid back and friendly. So I get, oh, I was really scared of you, but you're not, you're not scary. I, (laughs) I understand the comment, but at the same time, like knowing me, (laughs) I would never have thought you would ever be standoffish or, you know, like rude or like, fuck off, please. (laughs) I mean, I can't told someone to fuck off, but they had that coming. (laughs) Oh, yeah. They know what they did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that guy knew exactly what he did wrong. <laughs> One of the things you wrote down when we were talking about this topic is that being around really nice people has been such a balm to your stress. Yes. Is that still true in all of these venues? Oh, and how was the supper club when you went to the library? Was it delicious? Oh, it was 
great. Um, what did I make? I made a salad because my top four choices were already claimed. Of course. But like I sat next to this older woman named Margie who um, is a librarian and she does like the exhibits you kind of see in libraries and she has a a foul mouth and she noticed that I brought my food in like this corningware dish. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, I haven't seen that in forever. She's like, if I Aww. see you at the next one, I have like the special rack and like candle that you set the corningware on to like keep it warm. She's like, I'll bring it for you because I don't use it. Oh, so she was really sweet. It was it was a lot of fun. And I'm going to the one in February and I'm going to make an almond rose cake. Oh, dude. Yeah. Uh, I hope you take pictures. <laughs> I will. My therapist, because I go every week, has mentioned that she's seen a shift in my overall attitude since September. And that's also when I switched antidepressants. Right. So I think that also has something to do with it. Um, because so it's before, like a of these things. Yeah. Before I was feeling like an overall like like I was existing I didn't care about being productive I was just like there I wasn't sad like my usual depression symptoms this was like a new symptom I have never felt before where like I was just here but I didn't really want to do anything about being here you know what I mean Mm -hmm. so I went to my doctor we switched it's been wonderful and I'm sure that has something to do with me being more like willing to mm-hmm. do stuff because I'm taking a more active approach in the things that I do and the things that I want to do and how I can increase like my enjoyment of my hobbies mm-hmm. and kind of like make new friends because making friends in your late 20s about to be 30 is real hard because it's like you're not in school anymore Mm-hmm. there's no sort of like forced proximity that makes you befriend the people around you. Yep. You have to like go out and forge those connections. Yep. It's true. Yeah. I have, I do have one question before we move on to our listener email. Sure. What were some of the differences you noticed in your physical and mental space when you switched antidepressants? Like what were the things that you noticed that were different? Because the way that they work is so subtle. Yes. And I was thinking um, as you were talking about it, um, that maybe someone who's listening may have a similar experience because we don't talk a lot about how no, we don't. those subtle changes happen. Like I remember when I went on Paxil when I was severely depressed, I couldn't have articulated what better was, but I felt better. And I wish I could I wish I could have articulated it um in a way that made sense. Because it's hard to say that. It's hard to explain it. So what were some of the things you noticed? I'm going to make you articulate it instead. (laughs) I'm a terrible person. (laughs) I went on antidepressants when I was 19. And I was on 20 milligrams of Lexapro. That was the first one they put me on. And it worked. And I didn't need to experiment with anything else. So I was very lucky in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, they did think I had, um, ADHD. So they put me on a medicine for that, but it made me literally pee every 10 minutes. So oh, they took dude. me off of that and that was it. Um, so I was on that for a while and then I, you know, went off of it in my mid twenties and then I was like having 
a bit of a meltdown like two-ish years ago, maybe a little bit more, where like I needed to get on antidepressants again. And I'm like, how the hell do I do this with health insurance? Because no one tells you how to find a therapist when you have no, it's so in your network. And, hard. and it, it took me like four months to finally get the care I needed. And I was like, if someone was in a more serious situation, I don't know what they would have done. Like it's, it's, I mean, that's a rant for another time about the mental health care system in America, but it's terrible. It's um, shit. I agree. So I went back on Lexapro because my mm-hmm. doctor's like, that's what worked for you. And my depression symptoms are um, lots of sadness, um, not necessarily like mood swings, but I'm just kind of like miserable and miserable to be around. Like there is just like this seeping like sadness that just invades everything. Like my relationships, my friendships, I can't like take joy in anything that I'm doing. So that is what I like identified for myself. So you were like the opposite of everything is awesome. Yeah. I was like, everything is awful and I just want to cry right Um, so I was on that and then yeah around middle of last year I wasn't feeling those symptoms but it was a pervasive kind of like malaise is the right word but it's just like I'm here but I don't want to be productive I'm doing the bare minimum to like be a functioning human being, but mm-hmm. I have no desire to do anything more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, sometimes we all have the, those days, but when it persists to like mm-hmm. days and then weeks, and then like that is your existence, you know, yeah. then I had to like go, go and talk someone, talk to someone. And I remember having this feeling of like, like a sense of failure that like, oh, my medicine's not working anymore. Like, what, like, what does this mean? Like, why? It's my fault. What did I do wrong? Yeah. Yeah. But like, you know, I talked with my therapist and, you know, mental illness is an ever-changing disease. What works for you for five years might suddenly stop working and you just kind of have to go back to square one and, and, reevaluate everything and because I was on the highest dosage of Lexapro um I talked to my doctor and my my GP is fantastic and she's like well we have three options she's like I can um prescribe you Zoloft Mm -hmm. I could add a second medicine to the Lexapro to see if a combination of something would be helpful or you know we can do nothing for right now and see how you feel in a little bit or or whatever and just keep taking your Lexapro she's like we don't have to change anything if you would rather not change anything so um I was like well I want to change something and I'm lazy so I would rather take one pill as opposed to two pills. <laughs> so I was like, it's good to know yourself. Yeah. So I was like, give me that Zoloft. <laughs> and so that's what I've been on. And it's been great. 
What were some of the differences you noticed? You just noticed that you weren't feeling the way you had been before? Yeah, I was waking. I mean, everyone, I hope, should know that when you start taking any sort of medication for a mental illness, it's not going to work right away. Mm-hmm. It's going to take two weeks to a month before you really see anything or for the medicine to get into your system. So you have to right. wait. And I hate waiting. But I just noticed that when I would wake up in the morning, I wouldn't already be at like a negative 10. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't That's already. That's a really good way to put that. I wouldn't start at a deficit. Um, That's a really good way to put that. To have that to like sense. climb my way out of. And I would just have like a generally more pleasant outlook on things. Like, you know, my boyfriend Eric even noticed. He's like, your medicine seems to be working great. He's like, I've noticed a difference. You're more cheerful and you seem to be more productive. And so it's nice when like other people notice it as well. Cause then you don't think like, was it all in my head? Like what, <laughs> like, was this just a thing that I was imagining? Um, but I would say like, I would start in a better mood. And cause sometimes when you wake up and you are already like in a shit mood, like it's all downhill from here. There's no saving this day. It's just gonna be bad. <laughs> so and that like prompted me, like when I wake up in a better mood, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna get shit done today and yeah, do all this stuff and check stuff off my to-do list. So that's been a difference. And I've noticed that like, you know, I don't my moods aren't as quick to shift either Mm -hmm. I can take more time to process something as opposed to like reacting immediately in haste whether it's like anger or sadness or you know that sort of thing um but yeah I think the biggest change is being able to start a day on a more even keel that's a really good way to describe that, I think. Thank you. I'm glad you're feeling better. I'm glad I'm feeling better. You want to ta- take on some uh, listener email? Yes. All right. So this first one is from Emily, and it's a related topic. Emily says, I am looking for books that will inspire self-care. There are some books I read when I want to be in the right mindset to tackle a cleaning project. There's a Mary Stewart one where she cleans out a cottage. And when I'm angry and don't want to say anything, I'll regret Agnes and the Hitman, or when I've been having trouble with self-image, you don't have to say you love me. But I can't think of anything that would put me in a better mindset to take time for myself and was wondering if anyone had recommendations, fiction or nonfiction. I would just like something to read at night. So we both have answers for you in multiple directions. Um, I want to say that it seems from this question that you're looking for books that encourage self-care and self-compassion as either a theme in the plot of the book or an action on the part of the characters, or a nonfiction book that is going to uh, conceptualize and encourage self-care in a way that you can uh, take it in and be, you know, on board with what they're trying to say. Um, I hope that I am interpreting that correctly. I also want to say that reading in and of itself is part of self-care. So as long as you are looking for something to read, you're already taking a good first step towards doing a thing that is purely for you. In terms of books that are an example I want to recommend the Diablo Lake series by Lauren Dane because 
the heroines set aside time for one another. They have rituals that they do together. Uh, they always watch The Bachelor. They always hang out together at certain times. They're constantly making food or taking care of each other. And the whole town has a, um, a magical sort of symbiotic relationship within the different people that live there. And they all take care of each other in different ways. One of my favorite examples is the garden witches, which are people of all genders who have an affinity for growing things. And that translates into different directions of specialty. And it's just really lovely to imagine this sort of secret community where everyone's inherent power is invested in both preserving the, the safety of the space and taking care of all of the people in it. I also was looking for audiobooks to listen to while I cross-stitch, which, like Amanda, is a craft that I love because <laughs> I'm stabbing something over and over and over. And I have to post pictures of my current project. You are going to shit a brick at how gorgeous this pattern is. I am in awe of the designer. Her name's Emma Congdon. Um, I think she's Stitch Rovia. Now I have to make sure that I have that right. Uh, yes, Emma Congdon is Stitch Rovia on Etsy. So if you've seen Stitch Rovia stuff, that's her stuff. It's gorgeous. And I love doing it. Um, but I like listening to books while I'm cross-stitching and stabbing things. Audible has a category inside the romance package called cozy romance. And I thought that was such an interesting term because I'm used to seeing things like hot romance, sexy romance countered by sweet romance. And I don't actually want sweet all the time. Also, I don't mind sex in my romances. I just don't I just don't like a lot of angst when I'm looking for something very soothing. And cozy romance was the exact descriptor for something I didn't know I was looking for. So if you see something coded as cozy romance, it might also fit the idea that there's going to be an element of uh, care involved. At least I think so. That's my that's my theory. In terms of nonfiction, I would like to recommend The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck by Sarah Knight um, because it's a wonderful book. <laughs> and while I don't agree with everything she says in it, it is very nice to remind myself that although I have been socially inculcated to care about everyone else's problems and everyone else's feelings ahead of my own, the truth is I don't actually have to give a fuck about most of those things. And coming March 26th is a book called Burnout by Amelia Nagoski and Emily Nagoski. Now, Emily Nagoski wrote Come As You Are, which is all about the female orgasm, another good book for self-care. The two of them wrote about the science behind unlocking the stress cycle that leads to burnout, specifically in women. It is extremely feminist, and it is extremely good. I got to read an early copy, and I interviewed them last week, and it was like the most interview fun I've had in a really, really long time just listening to them talk about all the ways they are going to burn shit down <laughs> and the science behind the burning of shit down. It is great. So I would pre-order that because it would really encourage you to examine what's pissing you off. What are the stressors? And then how do you process the stress that they're creating when you don't have to deal with the stressor anymore? Amanda, what you got? Oh, boy. So this one is a little harder for me because I can identify like what I'm in the mood to read, but I don't <laughs> think for me it's connected to um, like a mindset, I suppose. Just like, oh, I've been reading a lot of contemporaries. I want to switch it up with like a historical. Mm -hmm. um, so, but one thing that I enjoy listening to um, are nonfiction, like memoirs that are kind of funny and that are narrated by the author. So, what is it? I think we need more wine by Gabrielle Union. Such um, a I read the Anna Kendrick memoir. 
or listen to it. Yes, please by Amy Poehler. So there are a lot of great like women centric, funny nonfiction that I found would be great to listen to when you want to like get stuff done. Um, in terms of nighttime, like wind down stuff, I usually listen to podcasts, <laughs> murder podcasts. <laughs> But I recently had. I cannot get through a podcast about (laughs) dead people. I swear to God, I don't even read it. I'm like, yep, this episode has dead people. (laughs) Um, But I recently stayed up till two thirty in the morning, just lying in my bed in the dark, listening to "Bittersweet" by Serena Bowen on audio, and it's part of the Romance Audible package. And there's the heroine is a chef. And the hero runs a farm and he like makes cider. So there's lovely food descriptions. And there was also a lot of like farming details that I found to be very soothing and comforting. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, but one of my favorite cozy reads, and I did a keeper shelf review for this one, is Garden Spells by Sarah Addison Allen. You recommend this book so often. I do. (laughs) And I haven't read it yet. And I feel like I am making a mistake and not having read it because it sounds like it is something that I would really (laughs) like. Usually our our tastes do not line up. No. (laughs) But Sarah Addison Allen does a lot of, uh, I guess it'd be like women's fiction, but there's always an element of magical realism. Mm-hmm. In Garden Spells, there is – think of it kind of like practical magic where there's this kind of kooky family in a small town and they're rumored to be witches, so they're kind of like talked about. Um, and it focuses on this generational sort of story of like, you know, these two sisters and one of the sisters is escaping an abusive situation and she has a daughter and – there's an aunt and that sort of thing. And one of the sisters um, like can imbue food with magic. Um, yes. It reminds me a lot of the Sarah Michelle Geller rom-com Simply Irresistible, which I feel like no one on this planet has seen but me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so if someone can prove to me that that was not a fever dream and you've also seen it, <laughs> give me a shout. Um, hey, I once I once tried to find ages, this is years ago, long before I started the site, I once tried to find a book that I was convinced that I had remembered and what I actually remembered was the plot of a country song that was popular when I was in college. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was one of my finer moments. So believe me, uh, I have had that same experience. <laughs> But Garden Spells is really great because there's a lot of um, messages about accepting yourself and forgiving yourself and, you know, what goes into trying to repair, maintain positive relationships and and get rid of the relationships that aren't serving you in a positive way. Um, So that's, I think those are my recommendations. I wish they were more helpful, but that's not, this is in my bag. I think those are very good recommendations. And I think I really do need to get off my ass and read Garden Spells because it sounds like all of my catnip. Yes. And I need to start coding things in the database as cozy romance so that I can sort of better identify what it is that I think I'm talking about. We have a a cozy genre tag in 
in yeah. the book repo, but I don't, I think I, I feel like I use that more for cozy mysteries. Yes. Cozy mysteries. You usually hear the word mystery attached to cozy yes. as opposed to as, as a way of describing things that aren't full of entrails and blood. Yeah. Um, and if you're listening and wondering what the hell the book repo is, the book repo <laughs> is the book repository. We have a database of all of our books that we're constantly using to fill in content on the site. And one of Amanda's great strengths is managing <laughs> the book repo database. So this email is from Kristen. Kristen says, so I had a thought because I'm struggling with this. And if I had to guess, I'm not alone. You're never alone. There's so many books out there I want to explore, but between the Kindle free samples and random post-its and all the great recs that come from SBTB plus the stack of hardcover books literally scattered well everywhere. How is a girl to manage her TBR? Does anyone have a good system or strategy? It'd be great to hear thoughts on this. I actually have wrangle my TBR as a top three things to do for this month, mostly because I'm getting frustrated with having a vague remembrance of a story, but not being able to pin down where I saw it. Any and all ideas welcome. And before I forget, thank you, thank you, thank you for books on sale. As I was tackling some finance stuff, ugh, I realized how much money these suggestions save me considering books are my truest weakness and I will cheerfully make myself broke buying them. <laughs> Kristen, you are so welcome and we have the same impulse problems. So do not feel alone. <laughs> I am sure it will absolutely not surprise anyone to say I have a spreadsheet. Now, the, the thing about solving a problem like this, I think when you're solving an organizational problem that also comes with a habit, you have a habit of acquiring books you're going to read, and you have a habit of wanting to read them, but you're having a problem organizing that habit. The ideal solution for me when I am in that situation is to ask myself, what is the problem I'm trying to solve? And what is the ideal solution for me? And one way to conceive of the solution is to ask yourself, where's the face, first place you look? What is the first place that you think of when you think of organizing your books? Maybe it would be a notebook that is only for those things. And what are the things that you need to know about the books? Because you mentioned that you have all of these books in different places and you remember part of a plot or part of a story, but can't remember which book it is that you have that you remember that story piece from. Wherever you think would be the easiest, lowest impact place for you to store all that information in one location, that's where you should start. So for me, it's a spreadsheet. For other people, it is a notebook. Some people have a list. Some people use Goodreads. There are a lot of different options for basically collecting all of the information in one place. And you just have to remember to update it when you've gotten a new thing. I don't use Goodreads a lot for a lot of reasons. So I have a spreadsheet and the things I need to know about a spreadsheet for my TBR is when is this book coming out if it's not out yet? So when do I need to read it by? What month am I going to read it in? And if there's a book that's already out that I want to read, I add it to that list and I make a designation. It's out. Here is where it is. Where is it? Is it in my Kindle? Is it a library book? Is it um, in an app that isn't Kindle? So I have to read it on my phone, like with some library digital books I have to borrow through a different app. All of that information is in the spreadsheet. And then I have a big center section that explains to future Sarah, who's going to look and say, the hell is that book? Why this book is on the list? This future Sarah will not remember. This is the historical with the characters who are, oh, oh yes, that is the book I want to read. And I can skip ahead if I want to, though I try to read close to release date because that's when the review will probably do the most good for any reader who's like, do I want to read this? I can tell you if I've read it. The other thing to consider is what's going to be the easiest way for you to set up and continue 
collecting information about your books to read in one place? Do you always have your phone? Do you always have a notebook? Do you have a traveler's notebook or a bullet journal? Um, Are you always at a computer? Or would it be better for you to set up a, a location for all this information in another place? Basically, you're looking for one place to collate all this disparate data and make it in such a way that it's going to be useful to you. And that can be a very personal personal process. Amanda, what is your setup? Your setup is fascinating to me. (laughs) So um, I recently realized that I have a problem just collecting books in my room. I will get a book in the mail. I will bring it in my room and it'll just sit on my dresser or on an end table and it'll just sit there for God. Because it, is it, is it cataloged nope. anywhere? It doesn't get cataloged until I put it on a bookshelf. So. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. So um, we, my friends and I did a like book exchange, like a Secret Santa book exchange at the beginning of this year. And one of the one of my friends who got me was like using my roommate to do like covert ops on like what I had. And my roommate had a moment of panic when I decided to clean out my bedroom and I brought 40 books that had accumulated in my bedroom out into the living room because she did not take those into account during her covert operations. So that's when I realized I had a problem just keeping books in my room. So I have a setup on my desk behind my computer. So I am looking at these books all the time. And I try to keep it 15 or less, but they're split into three sections. So every Friday, I will look at the books that I brought into my room that I got through the mail, you know, an ARC or I've ordered or or what you know maybe i brought it into into my room because i feel like reading it but it's just like sitting on my nightstand so every friday after yeah. therapy when i get home i will catalog the books in my room i will then decide if they're going to get shelved and i will address them later if they're going to go in a giveaway pile cuz i know i'm just not going to read them or they go into one of three categories on my desk So the first portion, so I have like a bunch of bookends. So like the first portion is books that I know I want to read in the next few months, whether they're like new releases Mm -hmm. or books that I really just want to read. Um, The middle section are books that have been assigned to me for like freelance jobs that have a deadline that I need to read. And then the last section Mm -hmm. are books that I might consider reading and reviewing. So those are like the maybe-ish pile. And I try to keep that like like I said around 15 books, no more because it'll get a little out of hand. And that's what I do every Friday to kind of cut down on the clutter in my room and you know, move stuff around. Maybe I want to reevaluate my pile and realize you know, even though this is in my maybe pile, I probably won't get around to reading it. Or maybe someone else on the website has claimed the review already so I can like take that one out of rotation or or whatever. So that helps me address like what I want to read and what I need to read soon. And for you, the physical presence of this 
these books in the bookends is what helps you remember that this is a place where you look for the next thing you're reading. Like it has become a central location. Yes. And Kindle is harder for me. And I don't even terribly organized on the device. I don't want to even think about my Kindle because yeah, it's hard in terms of organization. One thing that bugs me is sometimes I want to read something like that's short and there's no like sort by page count or anything like that. So the information that I usually seek out when trying to choose a book isn't readily available on my Kindle app. Um, in terms of organization. Yeah, the onboard organization in the app and also in the device itself is abysmal. And it's way too hard to set up and maintain with the device and the interface the way that it is. Yes. So you could just drag and drop things on a screen into folders and then create folders very easily. It would be much, much better. But it's just it's so freaking hard. And it's it, the learning curve and the the steps are just arduous. Like, I'm not going to take the time to do that. I will just create a spreadsheet and then I have it wherever I am. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a Google Sheets. I can access it. I can access it anywhere. And I also downloaded the spreadsheet that we have on the site that we you and Elise like talked about last month, I think. And I modified it a little bit to incorporate columns of the format I'm reading it in. So if it's like a a galley, if it's paperback, if it's um, on my Kindle. And I also have a column of where I acquired it. Do I own this book? Am I reading books that I own? Am I borrowing it from the library? Am I getting it from my Audible package? Like, where am I getting these books? So Yeah, that's good information to track because it helps you evaluate whether or not yes. those services are worth paying for. Yes. And also, like, am I actively working towards reading books that I already own and, like, whittling that stuff down? Am I, you know, not really paying enough attention to, like, what I'm putting on my Kindle? Um, because... I have a book journal that my roommate and I bought, and it's specifically for books. And one of my goals this year is to read at least 10 things that I already own on my Kindle. So it helps tracking that. Like, am I sticking to that? Am I making any headway on trying to address some of this stuff on my Kindle? Right. Um, So I like having that kind of snapshot of, how I'm reading and where I'm getting my books from. Oh, absolutely. Me too. I love looking at how many library books I've borrowed and read this year, because, you know, once I give it back to the library, it's no longer present. So I'm not going to be reminded, oh yeah, that library book I read. But once I log it as a book that I got from the library, it actually makes me feel pretty happy to see how much I'm using (laughs) the resources that I already have, because, you know, buying new books is an occupational hazard. (laughs) Do you think it would be useful to do a monthly feature where we talk about what we've discovered in our subscriptions that we want to recommend? Like, what did you find in the romance package? What did you find in KU? What have you found in Scribd? What have you found in the subscription packages that you pay for that are worth recommending to other people? Do you think that would be a good idea? Maybe, but like the only package I subscribe to is the um, Audible romance package. I don't do Scribd anymore um, and I don't do KU. And so I don't, I don't know if Elise does any of those. I don't know if Carrie does any of those. So I think for it to be beneficial, we would have to have like a wider spread, if that makes sense. 
of people who use these subscriptions. Yeah. Because I don't want it to be like, oh, well, like, only one of us has Audible Romance and, like, one of us has Scribd and, like, those are the only two we talk about because that's all we have. I also don't have a problem saying to the to the community, though, I, I think it's totally fine to say, all right, those of you who have KU, what have you found that you really dig lately? What are the things that you're like, oh, yeah. that was worth the subscription price? Because you know people will be like, let me share with you 6,000 <laughs> words of all of the things that I read this week. Our, our community is the greatest. <laughs> <laughs> now, there was one other thing that you do to keep track of your reading. Yes. And I don't know if Kristen uses Goodreads or not, but I fucking love Goodreads. I love it I find it amazing. I love (laughs) this so much. This is not a thing that would turn my crank at all. And you were like, fuck yeah, challenge me. I love it. Um, So we have a Smart Bitches Goodreads group that I run. And I'm part of other mostly romance-related reading groups on Goodreads. And a lot of them have what's called reading challenges or like themed challenges. And it really helps me pick what to read next in terms of what I own so like for example I'm in the middle so all of our challenges on the smart bitches goodreads are quarterly so it's usually Mm -hmm. read you can read up to 15 books a quarter there are different like levels you can choose to only read five or whatever it's pretty low-key but I'm working on the next like themed quarterly challenge for April May and June and I'm going right. with a Netflix originals theme. So Oh, so cool. <laughs> Dude, that is such a good idea. So each category, each like task that you have to read for is gonna be inspired by a Netflix theme. So like um like Stranger Things, you might have to read like I don't know, uh a book with like a, a horror element or Right. Um, to all the boys I loved before, you might have to read a romance with an epistolary element or um, La Casa de Flores, which we had a great guest squee on. You might have to read a book that has like a family scandal. Um, so I like base my tasks off of like themed stuff. Um, there are some other challenges that I do in other groups that I like. Um, it's where like another member will pick a set of recommendations for you based off of, you know, if they've read anything on your like to read list so they can give you like, oh, mm-hmm. hey, I saw that you want to read this book. I read it and I loved it to like give you that extra nudge to read something that's been on your list for a while. Um, and so I like those. I like getting kind of like a an extra vote of confidence of like, oh, I really love this book. It's kind of like a friend recommending a book to you because, you know, they have experience with that book. Um, and I just think they're they're fun. And kind of the like rush I get from doing the rec requests on Instagram is matching books up to, you know, descriptors. And it's like a little treasure hunt so I get excited I'm like oh this book perfectly fits this task um so it adds like a nice fun element to it some people get really obsessed with challenges but I try to treat it more as as a instead of being more of a completionist 
it helps guide my reading a bit more and give me some more direction mm-hmm. because working with books, there's kind of like an embarrassment of riches. Like there's too much choice and it's hard for me to focus on what I need to read. Yeah. And also forces you to think about, it, it forces you to think about the books that you own in yes. a different way. And it makes you reconsider the books that you have um, for a different type of yes. goal, which is always good, I think. All right. Is there anything that you're reading right now that you want to talk about? Um, I just finished a book last night that was a piece of shit. So, <laughs> oh crap! There I'm was some sorry. ableist language, and people are just acting like idiots. Um. So my next thing that I'm going to read as part of one of the reading challenges that I'm doing and I'm in, um, I will be reading. I think the Vixen and the Vet which was, I think, nominated for a Rita several years ago. But it's part of a modern fairy tale contemporary romance series. Um, and I think this one is a retelling of Beauty and the Beast. Yes. And it, I think it won the Rita. No, it was a nominee for Long Contemporary Romance in 2015. That's how I'm familiar with it. Um, but yeah, that's probably what I'm going to read next, either that or The Duchess Deal by Tessa Dare. Wow, you're not usually a historical reader. I know. I've been getting into them a little bit more nice. lately. <laughs> and then another option that is on my desk right now, and I'm looking at it, um, was E.K. Johnston's The Afterword. It's not out yet. Um, but we got an amazing pitch letter for it and I immediately requested it. And this was the letter, um, the afterword by New York times bestselling author EK Johnson is a sweepingly epic and intensely personal tale of two heroines and the lengths they will go to find their way back to each other. The story introduces readers to a world rife with magic and gods where people are free to love whomever they choose, but are constricted by their rank familial obligations and financial status so so that's your catnip yeah and the cover is really cool so those are the three choices i'm waffling between after that shit show of a book that i just read so (laughs) that's very cool uh, I cannot talk about the romance that I am reading, but I can say that I have a library copy of Tressie McMillan Cottom's Thick and Other Essays, and it is so fucking good. So, so good. It is really, really amazing. I've read some of them in other places because they're uh, extend, expanded or rewritten versions of essays that she's written elsewhere, but her her writing is so in- incredibly good. Like I just sort of like, I-, I can feel like all the cells in my body becoming very still and being like, okay, we're going to listen to every word on this page. And sometimes I have to read a paragraph over again because she's writing in um, an academic p- perspective for a small amount of time, or she's talking about sociology, which is like the field I wish I knew had been a thing when I was in grad school because <laughs> I would have done it. It was amazing. But um, yeah, I-, I think it's incredible and I can't wait to keep reading it. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. I'm curious, how do you organize your TBR? 
Do you have books that inspire you to take kinder care of yourself? And do you have a book club or a reader gathering that you want to recommend? I definitely want to hear from you. Please tell me all the things. You can email me at sbjpodcast at gmail.com or you can call 1201-371-3272 and leave a voicemail message. You can also tell me a terrible joke because you know I am a fan of those, but we love to hear from you. And if you would like to speak with us on the internet, which is kind of where we also live, you can find both of us at smartbitchestrashybooks.com. You can find me on Twitter at smartbitches, and you can find Amanda on Twitter at underscore I'm an adult. And she's also on Instagram on that same name. This podcast is brought to you by Harlequin and their New Year New Reads campaign. A resolution that you can keep past February? Oh, yes, please. Harlequin and their Blockbuster series authors have got you covered with many ways to start your New Year New Reads binge reading. Mira Books and HQN are home to many authors with an impressive list of series that are already out, as well as great upcoming books. What better way to keep a binge reading New Year's resolution than by diving into a series you can fall in love with from the very beginning? Head over to newyearnewreads.com to discover exciting series and upcoming titles from Christina Dodd, Lee Tobin McLean, BJ Daniels, Heather Graham, Robin Carr, Cheryl Woods, Sheila Roberts, Brenda Novak, Carla Neggers, Karen Robards, and more. That's newyearnewreads.com. Every podcast gets a transcript, and each transcript is compiled by Garlic Knitter. Hi, Garlic Knitter. Thank you. Today's podcast transcript is sponsored by Summoned to 13th Grave by Dorinda Jones. If you like J.R. Ward or Janine Frost, you will love this paranormal romp that tickles not only the funny bone, but other parts a little farther down as well. Charlie Davidson, Grim Reaper extraordinaire, is back after a century of exile. She is hurt, she is angry, and she is out for revenge. But a century on one plane isn't quite the same as it is on others, and she comes back to find a furious husband who can still melt the polar ice caps with a single glance, a world in chaos, and an expanding hell dimension that is threatening to take over our very own plane of existence. She has three days to stop an apocalypse that she may have accidentally started and to soothe the savage beast that is her blisteringly hot soulmate. Don't miss the final book in the series that RT Book Reviews calls Wickedly Funny with True Chilling Danger. Summoned to 13th Grave by Dorinda Jones is on sale now, wherever books are sold. And you can find out more at DorindaJones.com. We have a Patreon. You can have a look at it at patreon.com slash smartbitches. Monthly pledges begin at $1 a month, and with any pledge, you become part of the Patreon community. The Patreon community helps keep the show going, makes sure that I can transcribe every episode, helps me suggest guests, develops questions, and helps pick the book for our book club. So if that sounds like nifty stuff you might like to do, please have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches and consider supporting the show. And if you are already a member of the Patreon community, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. The music you are listening to today is provided by Sassy Atwater. You can find her on Twitter at Sassy Atwater. This is the Pete Bog Fairies from their album Black House. And this track is called Spiders. Now, I realize many of you don't like spiders. I would like to posit that spiders are pretty great because although they can give you the creeps, they also eat the bugs that bite you and make you itch. And uh, spider webs are pretty amazing. So even if you don't like the actual spiders, this track is also pretty great. You can find it at Amazon or iTunes or at the PeteBogFairies.com website or wherever you buy your funky music. 
And now it is time for me to tell you what's going to happen on Smart Bitches Trashy Books this week. I know you're very excited. Did you know there's a website that goes with the podcast? Like a whole thing. Been there for like 14 years. I know. I'm amazed too. But it is time. It's time. It's time. Now I'm going to make the dog bark. Not only is this Saturday our monthly What You're Reading post, which is where we tell you what we're reading and then you tell us what you're reading and then we all buy more books, but we are also announcing our first book club pick. Yes! The people in the Patreon community have made some outstanding suggestions and our first book this quarter is one that Amanda is so excited about. We are announcing on Saturday, so come on by and see what our book club pick is. And if you'd like to help us pick the book club selection for next quarter, take a peek at patreon.com slash smartbitches. Then next week, we have some reviews, both of romance and nonfiction as well. I have been reading a lot of nonfiction lately, as I've been reading some other books that I am not permitted to talk about. We also have a discussion on epigraphs and epilogues, and as you might imagine, we have opinions. We have a guest review, a new Soggy Bottoms, a new edition of the podcast episode recommendations, plus books on sale, help a bitch out, and a bachelor recap. So make some supportive wishes for Elise's liver and stop on by for Mayhem and Marriant. Marriant. Mayhem and Merriment. Goodness, I cannot word today. Stop on by for Mayhem and Merriment. The site is always better when you are there. So thank you. I will have links to everything that we talked about and all of the books we mentioned. I know there were a lot. So if you're looking for something to read and you heard something that you might want to think about for this episode, stop by the website smartbitchesdressybooks.com slash podcast. I will have links to all of the books that we talked about. And now it is time for a terrible joke. This is a terrible joke. It's really, really bad. Really, really bad. Maybe I'll actually be able to say words. It would be really great if I could. You ready? Why is a woman's monthly called a period? Why is a woman's monthly called a period? Because colon was already taken. <laughs> now I'm thinking about all the punctuation that I would prefer to use for that. Like, I have my ampersand or my hash mark. <laughs> now, now I'm going to go on a deep Wikipedia nerd dive into what different punctuation is called and find the best possible term for period. Because, well, I can't word today, but I can definitely read. <laughs> So on behalf of Amanda and myself and everyone here, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a wonderful weekend and we will see you back here next week. Oh, wait. And I have an outtake because I couldn't word today. I have an outtake after the music if you'd like to laugh at me a little bit more.
Hey there, happy Friday, and welcome to episode number 339 of podcast that I forgot the name of. What is the name of my podcast? Smart Podcast Trashy Books. Wow, it's been a day, you guys. Like, it has been a day. <laughs> I got to do this again. 